Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Net Positive Podcast. A podcast which educates and inspires marketers, product managers, and companies in the best way to generate and optimize your flows. We're your hosts, Matt Brown and Jess Walker, and we will bring you the latest on how to improve your sign-up flow, increase your leads, and grow your business. Let's, Let's jump, jump in. in. Hello and welcome back to the Net Positive Podcast. Today we're speaking to Dimitri Trifiatis, whose product management career went from the very hands-on physical product designer, creating high-end furniture worth up to $800,000, to expanding Koala's product offering into the lounge. We discuss different methodologies used between physical and digital product management, how personality and brand voice influences the product, and ideas on how to surprise and delight your customer. Let's dive in. G'day, Dimitri. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hi, Matt. Thanks very much for having me. Hey, we're really excited to have you here today. Bit of a twist. We're, we're used to having a lot of SaaS and software growth and product people. Today, we've got a real product person, a physical, <laughs> real-world product person on the show. So really, really excited to have you here. You've been at Koala most recently, and they've experienced massive growth. And you know they've had some incredible products, uh, one of which I've used myself previously. would love to hear a little bit about your journey today. Koala is like a real um, rocket ship and roller coaster and all those other terms that you want to throw in between. When I started, it was probably you know four years ago, and there was I think when I was hired, there was about twelve people, and then by the time I actually got landed on the ground, there was about seventeen people, and then through that year, there was about seventy people, and suddenly we're wow. really, I mean, literally elbow to elbow with the people next to you, like crushed in a small office, and we got into a bigger space. So I mean, super exciting, and that comes with heaps of challenges, like you know, politically and how it grows and the, the tension kind of push and pull. Mm. But, you know, as a, as a business, it do, actually does a pretty fantastic job of looking at itself, um, really trying to evaluate like what it's trying to do, what's its mission, what's the best way forward, and then communicating that down to the team members as well. So that growth isn't as painful as it can be, but I mean, you know, right. still, still you've got to be, you've got to reinvent yourself every couple of months <laughs> pretty much totally and how did you get to koala so you had had quite an interesting career i saw when i did the linkedin stalk that you know you'd been in everything from lighting textiles fireplaces oh yeah fireplaces that's riveting stuff <laughs> thirty thousand dollar furniture yeah so, <laughs> tell no, us I mean, about that, it that's an interesting one so just working with a guy here who's got an incredibly distinctive handwriting and a very unique clientele david boucher um you know he claims sort of there's four people in the world or four businesses in the world that do what he does, and out of that, he's in the top two. Good, good odds. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of true. Like, I mean, going to the Milan Furniture Fair and you see the other people that are doing that work in that space, the fine filigree work and things, you realise, like, oh, holy shit, these guys in mm. Australia, actually in Toowoomba, um, the craftsmen, yes, Toowoomba, hey, great place, yeah. um, are doing a you know, phenomenal world-class job. And this mm. guy has, like, an 18-month wait, waiting list for this product. It's, it, he only ever makes things once. It's anything from... $30,000 to $800,000. No way. 800000 for furniture. For like a, a wardrobe. Wow. Um, but that's stunning and they're like, you know, there's lots of gadgetry and, and mystery in there and, the, yeah, beautiful things. They're art pieces. Like um, hidden compartments and stuff? Yeah, so that's exactly it. Um, cool. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to, he's going to, you know, he, he hates people talking about it. He's like, don't you don't talk about the secret compartments because they're not secret. <laughs> it has to take you to Narnia, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You know, at the, all that journey in between is, is going from fireplaces to you working on like an actual manufacturing line, really understanding manufacturing production and the pains and gains that people go through on the production mm. line, optimization. Um, and then it, that that just leads into whatever your other jobs that's going to come up next that seems interesting at the time. Um, I think we were talking the other day briefly um, about the every time I've kind of been in one of those businesses, I've realized it's gone through that kind of 
rapid growth and, right. and, and development. Um, so it seems like that's the kind of thing I'm interested in where the, the business is a bit if he really wants to push hard and go further and mm. then they develop something really unique. So there's a company um, in Toowoomba, this is how I ended up meeting the furniture guy, but um, called Wagners and they make this um, a profile, just a square, and they use it for high-tension power lines and then they wanted to use it elsewhere. So we're asking you to use it. Um, you look at the qualities of the material, what's it good for, what's it not. Um, found out it's inert, so you can use it on boardwalks. So start right. putting it into um, wetlands and things so it doesn't contaminate the water like timber does, so it becomes a better material, lasts longer. Yeah, and then that became like a massive new market for that business to move into, which is amazing. And you've most recently taken all of these lessons that you've learned over the years working for all these amazing product companies, and you're now teaching other people how to do this through your own business. Yeah, that's right. So um, part of that um, physical product development um, was really like applying that design process, that design thinking and, and that divergent and convergent thinking mm-hmm. that is really readily applied now in digital product management and seeing those kind of parallels, I got really interested in digital product management and thinking about where the future of product development goes in Australia. And it really looks like there's some kind of synergy there around like e-commerce in particular. Um, so that was the idea, study, do a quick study in um, digital product development and then bring that thinking and those practices agile and mm. um and the kind of MVP mindset to um, physical product development. So that led to Koala as the natural extension. Um, since that, we've, we've kind of myself and my um, business partner, Vikram, have worked out a bit of a formula or a methodology around um, that process of research, developing for you know specific niches, and developing for an e-commerce platform. Do you have an acronym for it? Everyone has an acronym for their, their oh, for the, for the Oh, my God, we need a frame. I, I didn't realise I had to come to the table with that. <laughs> Honestly, I had to come up with come something on, really great. We'll, make, we'll on make one spot. up. <laughs> Listeners, name this business. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the company is Plus Nine Insights. Awesome. And, I mean, there's absolutely super geeky reasons for that for existing, and I'm sure there's a couple of people listening that will that will get it, hopefully. That's us now. We're doing this design research approach, applied research, and getting companies upskilled and um, really like across what the, the growth is going to look like for their folio over the next mm-hmm. couple of years. And that really lends itself to focusing on companies that have a high risk appetite, something like a startup or a scale up, right. um, particularly a scale up, because the the way that we're working is kind of in this 80-20 space where you've, you're doing enough work to get reasonably confident that you're doing the right thing and you want to get out there and test the thing early and not spend all this time arguing about what that last 20% is going mm. to look like and, and and really test into that as the product starts to go into market. What did I say? Done is better than perfect? Absolutely. Yeah. I- Except when you're charging $800,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you want a perfect <laughs> Narnia wardrobe. Absolutely the other end of that spectrum, I guess. I need to be geekier, obviously, because what is the nine plus nine? Oh, um, do you you happen to play Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, okay. (laughs) I have never played Dungeons and Dragons. I'll try after this. I'll come back to you. It's like, oh, plus nine. Oh, now I get it. Oh, my God. I can't believe you called your company that. (laughs) Keeps us entertained. Oh, DAD. Dungeons and Dragons and you're a dad and it's plus nine. Oh, my God. There's your acronym. Job done. You touched on it before, how you go from industrial design to, and, and it's physical products to digital design and some of those methodologies. Could you dive a little bit deeper into a few of those methodologies that you spoke about earlier? In terms of setting up the the brief and doing your kind of research up front, that's mm-hmm. just a really valuable piece. Yeah. Um, and really getting to like understand your user, understand the user scenario, doing those customer journeys and things, which is all, you know, the, the digital product management really does stem from the design principles or design practices um, from industrial design and, and really like understanding and unearthing those insights. 
um, we we just work at getting there faster. Mm. Um, and some of those tools that we use though are, are similar across both platforms. So doing those ethnographic studies or follow home interviews, where you're actually going to people's homes, looking, asking them questions, observing how they behave, and really like, you know, when we were at Koala, we did, did quite a few of those follow home interviews. They're really important. They're, they're kind of what we call the well. How does that go? Did you, I'm, I'm going to follow you home and I'm going to ask you about your sleeping arrangements. I'm going to tailgate you. It's go into your home. I guess it's even worse when you're talking about the bedroom, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to observe that mattress. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is obviously does require a bit of tact. And um, I absolutely, Vikram's the guy with tact, and I'm certainly not. I just barge and ask the question. He's the, he's the smooth one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that is something you've really got to um, – work around and there are audiences out there that you can purchase mm. um, and you can, you know, rent audiences pretty quick. Um, Askable is a great platform as well for getting people in the door if you just want to does run that, people through a product. Does that sway the data because these are people that want to be paid to be So surveyed? that's such a good point and something that is like a, honestly a point of contention all the time yeah. when you're looking hard at the numbers for product development. Mm. But I think the, the key here is that you can't be um, – research led you need to be research supported so you need to have your own intuition you need to know mm -hmm. what you want to do and then the research is really enabling that so oh. you just want to be able to demonstrate or get enough confidence to move on not to go to the nth degree of having the number and if you go to the number i mean we do color surveys and all sorts of things if you do a color survey and go okay we're going to do these colors i'll tell you now you're going to do light gray charcoal navy and <laughs> that, that's it forget red forget Stand all those colors that are going to sell like uh, the, and, the, and, and then you've got to say okay what do we really want this for, for portfolio to do like do we want this product to um work really well in marketing where are we going to place it so okay we're going to get a bright yellow sofa or we're going to get a bright yellow whatever it is knowing that we're going to sell five percent of those and 95 percent of the light gray um you know and and yeah, you really can't become quite too beholden to the research. It, it does just stifle creativity. And the, there's a real um, balance there that you need to be able to achieve and back yourself. One of the things that we're thinking about and we've heard is, you know, the 80-20 rule is super important in product design. 80-20 is in, in every management framework in, in every <laughs> business. But, like, why is it, um, you know, I guess incredibly important more specifically in product design? Because of the inherent cost that comes with it. So you can suddenly have these features that will um, – land right at the end, deliver very little value, but actually cost quite a lot. And you really need to look at those pretty hard. What work are they doing for you? Are they are they something you're going to be able to communicate? Are they these demonstrable features that are going to really get people in the door? In which case, maybe, maybe you want to eat a little bit of margin and get people in the door with this feature. But most of the time, people are probably not willing to pay for that little bit extra. Um, and you're better off to dial it down and get a product out the door that they're mm. really happy with at a competitive price point and then look to how you can introduce that later. So you'll be the built of redundancy in the product where you can adapt it later or you do a 1.2 or go on to a 2.0 or, or a completely different product. Going back to Koalas, they've obviously done an amazing job of building the brand and the personality. Has that influenced how you guys design the product as well? The brand and the personality has absolutely, um, I think that's like got to be synergistic and it yeah. has been really synergistic um, and, and that Koala's perspective. I mean, you look at like the fun um, lighthearted, easygoing kind of nature. And then you look at that timber bed base that came out. I think they're like perfectly paired where you've got something that is non-confrontational, very easy to understand, very intuitive. And that is exactly how the brand was pitching itself. It's like one-click purchase. It's mm. very transparent on its pricing. Um, you know, that they were, were, were really speaking the same language um, around their honesty and and um, sort of integrity as well. So, yeah, they, they have to speak to each other if you've, if you've got a very complicated, convoluted product and yeah. a very basic brand or even a very tech product and a very IoT lo loaded up brand, um, yeah. product, but you're selling something that's a bit basic, 
like you're basic. It's, um, you know, it's, yeah, they're not going to marry and you're not going to take that audience where they need to go. Uh, particularly even getting to the price point. You're not communicating the right values. You know, obviously koalas you know, started out predominantly as mattresses. Now they have lounges and, and other things. You know, when, when you think about taking user, users on a journey and really experimenting with something that everybody sleeps on when they go to bed at night, like what were some of the creative things that you sort of took in, in the user experimentation journey? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I'm totally going to stick my hand up and say, like, I haven't really worked on the mattress. The mattress was done when I got there. Right. Um, but like that is honestly, it's something that is, being optimized the entire time there's almost like an optimization team around the mattress Mm. not a new growth team around the mattress if that makes sense like they've they've got a working product they've got a working model it's about how do you get that incremental gain how do you get that last 20 now that Mm. you've got the 80 and you you started to run um so that kind of runs differently um once a product is established and that's you do the lounge are you responsible for the yeah specifically the lounge actually um yeah so if you've got any problems with it just Great. This is excellent. Some hate mail coming through on my LinkedIn. Um, Yeah. So the, the lounge, that was a, you know, a big move obviously. And really the question there, it's about how you get that brand to grow and where else you can go that makes sense. Where are the people going to follow? So, you know, moving into the living room makes a lot of sense. You've got a comfort, you've got a comfort product in the bedroom, you own the bedroom, you're moving into the rest of the house around a comfort story. So you're already the experts on comfort. It's not that much of a leap for people to understand why you go there. Yeah, the materials absolutely. feel very similar. Although like your supply chain does completely change when you do something like that. And that's one of the big challenges. And I think, you know, that's something to keep in mind whenever you've got a, particularly when you've got the scale up and you're built your business around this one product, this one dimension, and then you want to reach for the next product and it could be miles away. You know, you've got a complete different supply chain team. You kind of haven't, completely optimize this existing product. You can't take your eyes off the cash cow, off the mm. off the ball here. Um, and then how are you going to get to this other valuable product area that you've identified that is relevant to you and your business and where you want to head with that business? Um, so you need kind of stepping stones in the in between as well. Were there any surprises? You know, obviously massive success with the bed, now releasing a lounge, you know, targeting probably a fairly similar demographic. Were there any sort of aha moments that kind of popped out from having the new lounge range? Oh, uh, yeah, that's... That is going down a little bit um, or back a little bit in time. So that's harder to kind of remember. But yes, I mean, there certainly, I think even when you go, even more so though, is when you go into different demographics, different age groups, and you want to reach those. And you say suddenly like, hey, you know what? What about these people that are over 60? How about we go and talk to them? And you realize like after you start trying to expand in all degrees, you go, oh, actually, these guys are a bit further away than where we thought. We, We are communicating to these people that have had, you know, not had kids yet, they're moving around a lot, and then suddenly they're settling down and thinking about having kids or having kids, and then once they've got kids. And that really changes the lounge. It changes the lounge, yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, so suddenly if, you're, if you've got a lounge that's appealing to a family, you want a, yeah. wipe, you want a wipeable surface. Like those, those people don't uh, want to muck re- around. With- you really want a wipeable <laughs> yeah, surface. Yeah, that doesn't cross my mind yet. <laughs> my God. <laughs> there's, you know, there's home size that changes as well. As yeah. you start to get kids, you move out of the city centre a little bit and you get it like a little bit more more luxurious than say my apartment which is like 60 square meters or something and tiny little couch I'm imagining your apartment has like the sickest furniture uh sickest in terms of like I have kids and they've been sick on it like that's that's fine we are not at the investment point yeah no Narnia cupboards we're not at the investment point yet like honestly and 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 truly like that was a conscious decision of saying we're about to have kids um yeah yeah. they're just going to destroy anything Yeah. yeah and I think that's quite true like we actually see spending patterns change in people when they invest in different pieces of furniture at these different life mm. stages um and it's really important to you know to know who you're going for with what product and what narrative you're going to tell and what story you're going to tell to each person to yeah. really connect with them 
Um, and how are you going to present the product? You know, what channels are you going to use to reach them? And those kind of things all need to start tying mm. together and how you're building out that product. So that brief building in the beginning becomes you know, really valuable as your launch pad for this, this project, this undertaking you're about to go on. So you're going to launch sofas. Um, you know, get really clear about who that user is. You know, what do they want to spend? How does it break up into market segments? Mm. What are the different living scenarios that you got to consider? Um, yeah, and that that is just constant aha moments. Yeah, um, right. you think you know something, and then you go home, follow people home. You go, holy crap! They sit are, in their bedroom. Oh my god, <laughs> on their lounge, using this thing on their head. Like it's yeah, people really surprise you. Um, yeah, and people can be pigs, like in their house. You, know, you need to you need to design that in as well. And in terms of like the team cross collaboration, so we ask this question a lot from the digital point of view and how they get the engineers to talk to the product designers to talk to the marketers. Do you find there's any pain points within what you do with building a lounge and talking to the marketers? And I guess you are the engineer version, aren't you? Not necessarily engineer version, no. Like in, in terms of actual product management, you do, like I've come from the design side, so I've come from that engineering background and there is like a, a a depth of understanding there and also like um, a want to stretch down that path, but you've, you really got to res, um, restrain yourself from that. Mm. You become the conduit between the creative team um, and the digital performance, like the, the performance marketing team mm. um, and the digital team. And you are coordinating their ideas. Like you are not necessarily going in there and telling them how it's going to be. You're negotiating with them constantly. Um, you are, you, you really need to hear and translate and bring that back to the team that are actually working on the project. And, you know, the, the important point here is when you're working on physical product, the development timelines are like 12 to 24 months, depending on what you're doing, or longer if you're doing something really radical. But you've got, like, time to order stock, and that's a big commitment. And, you know, it stock's on water, and you press go on production, and there's 90 days there. Um, these aren't digital products, so you yeah, do yeah, need yeah. to do a lot of legwork up front. So when you're thinking about, obviously, with, with that long lead time required to get a product into a customer's hands, you know, how do you think about MVPs in the physical world? You know, in, in software, it's like we're going to go hack something together for three yeah. months, ship it, hope it doesn't break. Like you probably can't do that when you're shipping furniture. That is the big difference. Yeah. Um, when you talk about MVP, you've really got to like, and this is something we do in the consultancy is educating people what we mean by MVP because we talk to people physical goods that haven't worked in this world before and you start talking about MVP and they're freaking out and going, we cannot release a product that's going to kill someone. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. So, absolutely, this forklift really has to work. We're not going to like 80% yeah. the safety on this thing. 80-20, yeah. not, not <laughs> in this case. So 80-20 so isn't necessarily like um, a level of risk of failure. It's how, how much value are you leaving on the table? And that's the kind of term around that value engineering. So value engineering historically has been like, how do you strip out materials, make something thinner so you can sa- shave cost or like optimize your supply chain, shave cost out as the product's up and running. When we're talking about um, the sort of the new school way of thinking about the value engineering, it's about how do you balance those features to the user need, to your channels, to your to the rest of your team, to how that business runs um, so that you're delivering the right product at the right price point and, and at the right time. Um, and that that's an interesting one. Like, you know, Koala did a pretty good job. I mean, say pretty good, it was pretty Amazing. The the um, I was going to try to say phenomenal again. I got it. Yes. <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> the that work from home desk. You know that thing came out in like I don't know twelve weeks or something. Or I think it was. I want to say six weeks, but let's just say twelve. Um, you know, and that was actually like supplied, ready to go in the warehouse in the distribution amazing. centers. Um, but it came from like you know having a really strong, robust brief, and it was already something that was in development. Mm. But then saying, hey, there's an opportunity here, and people need this thing, and it's the need is now. Um, so 
the value that value engineering shifted right like people need this product tomorrow mm. so suddenly the product isn't made of these big hardwoods it's made of plywood something you can make locally make quickly you know and get into the warehouse really really quickly but it would still deliver the value that people needed which i just need a flat place to put my stuff while i'm working because mm. i'm working from home suddenly um yeah and so that's that's i guess how that value engineering shifts if you shift one of those parameters What's your view on the impact of design on growth? So have you ever, you know, throughout your time at Koala or any of your other roles, have you ever changed one thing slightly that's massively increased the growth of that product? Yes and no. Um, (laughs) So because we test ahead of time, um, you know, it's really hard to see the actual like revenue change in Mm. those products um, just by dialing one one thing. Um, But in terms of like product attraction, um, making a product, more appealing to broader people and actually testing that in and like you do qualitative testing, bring people in, walk around a product, you know, you might live with a product for a period of time at someone's home or at your home. Um, you were talking about my home before as well. Like, you know, it's full of prototype furniture. I think it still have a lot of prototype <laughs> furniture there. Yeah. So making those little, and then you do quantitative studies. So you might actually survey something out, but again, you take that with a grain of salt. So some of those features we've managed to change and they've been minute details or something that just doesn't feel like it will carry and then suddenly you get all these people going, no, no, really, this is amazing. For, mm. for, and they'll describe a thousand other reasons. And you know the only change you've made between one and the other is this one piece. But suddenly the whole perception of the product shifted and they start talking up all these other features in the product that they might have just overlooked before because they're a bit meh about the product. Um, so, yeah, that can be something like putting on a headboard on a bed base. Suddenly mm. everyone just loses their mind. Yeah. So fancy now. Oh, so, yeah. so fancy. I'm, I'm a mature person. Yeah. <laughs> We're actually selling our house right now and the, um, the design team that have come in to make our house more sellable put a headboard behind our ensemble the other day and we're now in love with headboards. Yeah. <laughs> We've yeah. got to have headboards. No, um, headboards are king. <laughs> so so um, moving on to, obviously, you've launched your own business now and, you know, you obviously want to take a bunch of the lessons that you've learned over over your career to date and, and really help people to, to sort of catapult. Like, what you know, what is the big differentiator for you as a business? Why, why did you set out to, to start your own company? Yeah, that's a really good point. We have been debating this a lot over the last few months because it's one thing to say like, oh, we're going to go out and do this and because we believe in ourselves and we think we're doing it differently. Then you actually come to like pitching to people and you're like, oh, this is kind of why you choose us. This is why you choose us and not the um, other agencies that exist. (laughs) Uh, Really, it is about the the speed and a lot about that. Um, quick confidence is what we're really trying to give to most people. Um, And then really thinking holistically about what the business needs are. So it's not just a research agency that delivers a research brief that you then go, okay, we'll translate this into a product. It actually is like applied research because we both come from an industrial design background. Um, And, you know, Vikram, my business partner, he's gone through a couple of other startups. He was in um, Urban Ladder in India, which is another like blow up furniture startup. Um, And then came across to Koala as as the researcher. Um, and yeah, that, that really is the key. And I think the working with businesses that have got that risk appetite and really wanting to enable founders vision. So that working with startups specifically and e-commerce specifically are two places we really want to play. Um, and around physical goods is something we really want to do. So light, light touch research that will deliver a more, a product with more confidence faster. Fantastic. Good, good plug. I, That's I like as good it. as I can yeah. get. That's it. Check out the website. Uh, yeah, I, I actually was looking at your website <laughs> oh, before. Far out. Don't do that. We haven't even... <laughs> and I was reading, you say, the worst thing a business can do is not listen to their customers and understand their needs. The second worst thing a business can do is only listen to their customers without ever innovating or delighting them. 
What are some examples of you delighting your customer? Honestly, you could talk about that a lot with Koala, right? Yeah, of course. Like that is the the key to success there mm-hmm. about making something just that much more interesting. Um, I think when you're really delighting someone, you are unlocking a value for them without them ne- knowing they needed it. So it's about sitting back in a chair and they're going, huh, there's a cup holder just there or whatever. I mean, mm. that's a pretty basic one. But like, you know, it is about doing those special little details that yeah. really like are meaningful to your daily scenarios and to the point where you, you can't really live without it anymore. Um, and I think every design agency or every designer is really aiming for that where it becomes like just part of your life. Um, yeah, as it, as it has habit forming. Yeah, nice. It's even small things like when you order something online and it comes with a little handwritten note or a printed handwritten note mm. or like a little chocolate or something. You're like, oh, that was something they, they didn't need to do, but now I want to use them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also like, you know, the just the after sales service yeah, is so important because people are taking a risk with a lot of these startups. That's the first time I've ever heard of you and you're asking us to give you a hard-earned cash mm. um, and you buy the product and then walk away, which is I think like, you know, look at a lot of those sort of Instagram AliExpress conversions where people just bought something on AliExpress, selling it on Instagram and giving it a good ad and they have no after-sales service or follow-up. Yeah. You know, that there's a big risk there. So you're asking a lot. Um, and I think really giving people a great experience afterwards and throughout, even when they've been, you know, working with the product, had the product for 10 years mm. and they still have a good experience um, and you're playing a long game there. But, you know, that is kind of what you want to set up, right? I know everyone in startups wants to build cash out. But like you do want a legacy. You do want a product that's going to treat people well. So as you've kind of moved from, you know, the the physical world to the digital world, like what are some of the things that have surprised you that are the same? What are some of the things that are like surprisingly different? So, yeah, some of the things that would be surprisingly the same, I think is really that, um, you know, people talk about the double diamond process and um, how you actually expand an idea and doing the user research and all that in-depth stuff is actually, you know, as I said it before, it really does stem from the industrial design practice thing that you get trained in. Um, but as an industrial designer, strangely enough, you never really get to practice that because often when you hit the ground, they're like, right, we've got a designer now. You just go, bang, do drawings. You're the creative one. You just sit in a, mm. sit in a room and get creative. Right. Like, this is perfect conditions for creativity. I'm really <laughs> feeling inspired and insightful here. So it's uh, not like on Don Draper and you're lying on the lounge dreaming of things to build. I'm sure it was at that time when it was just kind of like easy money, right? But, um, yeah, so uh, it doesn't, doesn't quite work like that. Like having uh, for a designer, nothing's more scary than a blank page has been quoted for infinity. Um, and it's true. Like sitting down is going, okay, cool. Do me a bag. Like, great. Go for it. You're like, I have nothing to go on. I, I tanks dry here. But as soon as you got like a great research brief or you've mm-hmm. got some information, you've got some context, you've got some insight, suddenly you've got something to build around. Um, and that's, you know, amazing. And I think that's the surprising thing for the, um, the digital practice is of such a massive appetite for insights and using insights, applying insights, and also just getting something out the door. Like there's, it's just so good. The energy around that. That's actually half the reason I'm like in Fishburn as we were just talking about this before, like coming into Fishburn is with all these people that just want to get things out the door and it's exciting. It's it's so much better um, than just working in like a a quiet space Mm. around the corner. Like just, you know, having that hubbub and that energy around you is just like amazing. I found it like really energizing getting back into Koala um, just reinvigorated my career entirely. And you've obviously got a wealth of knowledge in your mind, but where do you go? Where do you go to to learn more about product design or product management? What kind of platforms or podcasts do you listen to? Or oh my god, you're going to kill me! Um, Net yeah. positive podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's it's a lot of like 
I mean, the classic reads, right? You're reading on Agile Scrum and you're reading on like the Lean Startup and yeah, you're reading yeah. like they're all, they're all pretty classic in terms of recurring um, podcasts and things. I actually, this is going to sound like a terrible plug, but the talks that they're giving here in Fishburners aren't bad that you get. Even we occasionally talk here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how we got in here. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you have for, you know, somebody who's in the physical world today building physical products, who's thinking about making a foray into the digital world to build digital products? What would be your one key, key piece of advice for that person? It's just important to get people across that idea of timeframes. Um, you know, and the, the attitude towards what complete looks like and finding that balance within what complete looks like. Um, because, you know, there, we talked safety and things. Like it does get pretty serious when you're talking about physical goods because you're talking about safety standards um, and, you know, people can get hurt if you're not observing those. So like that's something to take reasonably seriously. And I think a lot of people that just want business to happen really quickly can overlook that um, or try to overlook that. Eventually you cannot overlook it, but just you need to hear, you know, steer that pretty head on or straight on in the beginning. Um, yeah. And the time frame, you know, just putting together a reasonable time frame, being really clear and firm on those time frames, because even if you try and condense them because everyone wants them condensed, they're not going to condense. Mm. There are some aspects to that that just will not squish any further, um, particularly producing offshore. Um, there are lead times where they just, they're, they're not flexible. They're 60 days to 60 days. Is right. how long it's going to take? Um, yeah. And no amount of your kind of jumping up and down is going to change that. Is it everyone overdue on their timeframes all the time? Every <laughs> Kickstarter since the beginning of time that I've ever backed has arrived at least six months late. In the history of the world, always yeah. late, yes. Kickstarter is definitely like king for um, missed, yeah. missed opportunity, I guess. Or like, you know, you see their lead times. Like I, I look through Kickstarter a lot and a friend of mine, like, well, actually, Vikram and I are also looking at doing Kickstarter in um, June. But like, oh, cool. uh, it's just a passion project. But it's given us opportunity to look at a lot of the Kickstarters in depth and you just look at these people in their timelines. You think, man, you are miles off that yeah. being realistic. Like that is, you know, you're really going to have to check those dates. I don't know how you've worked that out. Yeah. A lot of optimism, I think. Yeah. Optimism and first timers. Yeah. What's your passion project? Um, a game. It's really like a cathartic kind of um, a game for parents. So it's called the parenting charade. Um, and it really is just like acting out some of those like phenomena and those um, things you're going to kiss goodbye. Um, you know, it might be foreplay um, <laughs> as, you become, as you become a parent. God. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's going to come out in June, which we're like, we're really enjoying it. It's just another thing to like, I don't know, we seem to be talking constantly. He's in Brisbane and I'm here and we're, we're like a married couple ourselves um just talking about it in the evening and keeping it moving along and things and the shoots coming up which is all just getting really exciting and that's yeah, just maybe. part of learning like you know launching another product and and having a go through a different medium it's really interesting cards against humanity for parents kind of along those lines right yeah more more like you're you're standing up and acting a little bit more let's see your acting skills <laughs> Awesome. That's an interesting note to finish on. Not, not at all. Yeah, no, it's, I'm sorry. It's, it's Double, like a triple plug in there. Yeah, it's 100% right. the best place to end. Dimitri Trifiatis, product strategy at Plus Nine Insight. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Thanks, Dimitri. Thank you for listening to the Net Positive Podcast brought to you by Upflowy. 